This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoted reader of the Bible, and that the primary business of the church and its ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage people in this life-changing habit. So here we are. Uh, I don't even know how many weeks we are into uh, Luke right now. So Lenny is with us in the house. We also have Ben and Mike, Johnny, myself, Judah, and Dave is uh, jumping in from uh, this is Ireland. Week, so, this is uh, week nine. Week nine in Luke or week nine in this section? This section. This is week 40 of Luke. <laughs> so week 40 of Luke and nine in, uh, was it, 19 through... 24. Well, so. one section was 11 weeks, and the other sections were 10 weeks, and this is the fourth section, and we're in the ninth week. You can blame so. Judah for that. Judah's like, we're going to not microwave a steak. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to slow cook Luke. We're going to go through it as slow as possible. Well, we could probably even go slower, but uh, I'm uh, trying to keep things moving a little bit here, but um, Johnny likes to bounce around. So <laughs> Listen, you, you were right, though, because when we started, Luke, you said, we'll probably be in here for like a year. Somebody yeah. said that, and I was like, no, we won't. Yeah. <laughs> it's been over a year. Yeah. 40 weeks is not over a year. We're not, we don't meet every week. Well, I know, but still, if, if you count our discussions, it would not calculate out to be a year. 52 weeks would be a year. Yeah. Even if you take time in between the discussions. <laughs> well, when did we start doing Luke? I thought it was the first week of last year. I don't know. <laughs> Regardless. Have we learned nothing? <laughs> yeah, we've learned nothing. We've learned nothing. <laughs> we've only learned how to argue about petty details. So, Regardless, I don't know when we started. I don't know when we'll end. But uh, we will end eventually. We, we will as as uh, who is it? Michelangelo uh, was he? He was the one that painted the Sistine Chapel, correct? Right. And so the priest kept asking him, "When will you be finished?" And he says, "When I'm done." So when will we be finished? <laughs> when we are done. So anyhow, we've been reading Luke 19 through 24. Uh, last week we were in 22. Uh, I don't know if we quite made it all the way to the end, but 22. Obviously, you got a couple more chapters here so let's open it up and see what stood out to you guys as you've been reading uh this past week i was focusing on chapter 23 a lot verses 1 through 12 this is the trial my section says trial before Pilate, and then the silence before herod and and i kept reading this over and over and something stuck out to me that i just want to run this by you guys that and anybody that's listening that didn't strike me before so he, you know, without reading the whole thing, the whole assembly rose up, the whole assembly meaning the Sanhedrin, they brought Jesus to Pilate. They began to accuse and they found this man and they say that he was perverting our nation. And now the Sanhedrin, the assembly, as it were, is calling this their nation, you know, perverting our nation, like, you know, including Rome in this. And, 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 and you know that because the next part is in trying to stop men from paying taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is a king, the anointed one. All these things, you know, would have in, you know, gotten inflamed Pilate if he if he was so, want, you know, inclined to do so, to become inflamed. So he asked Jesus, of course, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you say so. But I, I, I'm going back to those first couple of lines, and here's what I wanted to run by you. Uh, they... And, and even going further, if you, if you read further into this, that what charge are they bringing him up on? They're bringing him up on political charges here, and, and I'll, 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 I'll tie that in in a moment, but political charges, perverting the nation, trying to stop people from paying the taxes, declaring himself a king, and those are political reasons, but if if you recall, and I didn't until, until I reread it, go, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
when the Sanhedrin tried him, they tried him on what charge? Does anybody remember? Well, it says here that he said not paying their taxes. No, no, no. What did the Sanhedrin try him on? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Thank you. Blasphemy. But you know what? The Romans don't care about that. Exactly. That's what clicked into my head. The Romans wouldn't have cared a darn about that. Uh, Pilate would have laughed at them. So they changed it to political. Then I, I said, wait a minute. The Pharisees wouldn't have done that. What I read about the Pharisees, they wouldn't have done. I'm not saying I'm not absolving them from everything. But you know who would have done that? The Sanhedrin. Because they were more tied into the, into the uh, materialistic, into, the, you know, into society with the Romans. Everything there that was political was them. They, the, the Pharisees were religious people. As, as much as they were strict on the rules and they were probably pains in the butt to the common people, they didn't do this. The Sanhedrin, uh, the San, I'm sorry, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees did this. Well, the, the Sadducees had more seats in the Sanhedrin than the Pharisees. The Pharisees had some seats, but not nearly as many. It's, it's similar to the Democrats and Republicans. So, so in, the, in the Sadducees, uh, what's the word of arist They were more aristocratic than, than the Pharisees. And, and so they, they trumped up this charge to make it political. I just wanted to run it by because I'm reading, reading this. And I'm saying, okay, wait a minute. What's going on here? So, and I never noticed that before. The charge, as I read this, read this, the charge was changed from blasphemy, where they, they brought him up on the whole Sanhedrin. And then when they get to Pilate, I think it's the Sadducees that are trumping it up to political charges. I don't know what you guys think about that. And then, of course, because uh, Jesus is from Galilee, Pilate hears that. And the Galileans were known as the rebel rousers, the you know the the people that are going to create an insurrection if anybody is. Well, even if you go and don't like bring up the blasphemy, bring up the fact that he went into the temple and started knocking over the tables and whipping people, and the Romans wouldn't even care about those charges. So they have to go that he's going to try to bring up a resurrection against the government. It's the only thing that the Romans would care about. So so again, you know, for me to. To, to tie this up for myself, and, I, and again, I, I'm curious to what you guys think. Why would they do that? Because they were so tied in with, uh, you know, the aristocracy and with the Romans. They were, they were, they were inclusive. From what I've read, they were, they collaborated with them as opposed to the Pharisees who really didn't like the Romans. Um, and they were so worried about Jesus uh, taking away their, their wealth, their comfort, their power, that they created these other charges, which were also false. And, and how does that, you know, I mean, this, this all ties in. I think about that today and, you know, the charges that, you know, you know, if somebody, you know, okay, we're worried about losing our comfort. Are we ever? Yeah, we are. I know I am. Or, or you know, whatever power you have or whatever wealth you have. And, and do you do things that are unseemly like the Sadducees did? That's my, my connection there. Yeah. And, and what's that quote? Something like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. Or something like that, you know, and, and that's that's what you see here. Because again, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were much like the the Republicans and Democrats. They were on different sides. You had the Sadducees, like yep. like uh, Dave said, the old guard. They were the uh, the older ones, the ones uh, incidentally who didn't believe in a resurrection of any kind. Uh, the Pharisees, on the other hand, were kind of the more up and coming, progressive. You know, back to back to the Mosaic law. Like let's get back to the to the law, get back to the roots of Judaism. Let's uh, let's observe all these things. Let's be strict religiously. The Sadducees, I think, were probably a little bit more more uh, relaxed in the the religious side, but but you know more more political. 
They were all. I mean, but, but the, the, yeah, they were. They were. They were Two different sides, but elite. They're together. They are the, the establishment, right? They're they're the establishment, and then the Romans. You know, I mean, all of the Sadducees, as Dave mentioned, they got along with them probably better. They were still ultimately the enemy. They just the Sadducees just maybe played the game a little bit better. But now they're all like trying to unite together with one purpose. Yeah, to, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. And when you said that, it made me think of the day that, and this is in, I believe this is in 23, when Herod became friends with, right, with, Pilate. with Pilate when they were formerly enemies. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah, that, that day they became so, friends. So, yeah. so you, what you see is a unification of people ultimately breaking the Ten Commandments right. against Jesus, right. right? Because they're bearing false witness, right. right? They're basically coveting what he has, which is the kingdom, right? They're basically putting him to death. They're robbing him of his glory. Like, you just see the whole world turning their back on God. Yeah. It's, it's for, for what, ultimately? For pride, for idolatry, for all of these things, for these statues of these pagan gods, it's like it's just brutal, you know. Yeah, and and so like you said, I mean that, that that's interesting. I mean I, I've read that before, but never um, quite put it together uh, to the same way that you did, Dave. About like they they kind of changed their tune uh, when they brought it to uh, to Pilate because you know they they realized that he's not going to care much about their their religious. Um, Things that he will, he's going to care about the insurrection and and the taxes, which we know Jesus actually encouraged people to pay their taxes, right? right? I mean, he said, "Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what's God's." Um, then there was a time with with Peter and the fish where he said, "You know, is it you know is it right for us to pay the taxes?" And everybody's like, "Well, not really." And you know, Jesus is like, "Yeah, but you know what? Go do it anyway." And yeah. Peter, go catch a fish, and you're going to find in the fish's mouth enough money to pay your taxes and mine, which, you know, which is kind of a boss move on Jesus' part, saying like, yeah, I can get money wherever I want, you know, go catch me a fish. You yeah, know? The, place like, that, the place that you least expect, yeah, the people yeah. that you least expect, you know? Yeah. I'm just thinking about that. Back at, I mean, I know this is falling back. You were just talking about the, uh, the coin in the fish's mouth. How that was put in, the, how did that happen? Was it just like, there was a ship, like, Weeks ago, and some rich guy was on there, and a coin fell out of his pocket and fell into the water. And fish the, thought it was a fish. The captain of that ship made a wish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, I'm just curious. Like the back. I don't think it was like, random, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say it's interesting that, you know, they they bring the accusation. Pilate's question is, "Are you the king of the Jews?" I mean, he's just kind of like straightforward with it. You know, he's like, "Are you the king of the Jews?" Which, which is interesting wording at least in how it's translated here because it he didn't say who do you think you are he didn't say do you think you're the king of the jews he didn't say are you trying to throw you know make a res insurrection here he didn't say anything he just said are you the king of the jews and he and jesus replies well you've said it you know yeah you say that i am yeah, yeah. And, and so it's just kind of an interesting interaction there um which is uh you know in, in that era where oratory was kind of a uh an art form the art of conversation all these and Pilate was was definitely a conversationalist you know and we, we see some of the stuff that um that he's talking about you know uh, I don't know it's probably in another gospel but you know about about truth and stuff like that and it's like they're having these kind of like interesting conversations that are going on yeah everything that Pilate asks him is what's true about Jesus right he says are you the king of the Jews Jesus says you say that I am yeah you brought that up Judah and I'm looking at the line before it and in 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 order to bring charges against him that the Sadducees or the Sanhedrin if you want to include everybody they say 
he, he, he told men to stop. He was perverting our nation, trying to stop men from paying taxes. And, and I don't know the Greek translation. I don't have that with me. But in saying that he himself is the anointed one, a king, they say a king so that it can refer to that, like the king in place of the emperor. But Pilate doesn't ask him, are you a king? He says, are you king of the Jews? He doesn't ask if he's a king, like king of the Roman Empire, you know, ready to supplant, ready to supplant uh, the, uh, the current emperor. That, and that's, that's interesting there. He gets, as you said, right to the point. He says king of the Jews, and, and, and it's not a big deal to him when Jesus basically admits that he is, or you say so. What does Pilate do? He says, I find, I find nothing to condemn in this yeah, man. Like, that's fine. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> but there's other context that we're missing here in Luke, though, right? You know, there's other interactions between Jesus and Pilate. The conversation about, you know, uh, about truth and and the conversation about Pilate saying, um, having a conversation with his wife and his wife saying, have nothing to do with this man. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, her, her vision. So so it, it, it's right. like Pilate's going in there kind of like a little bit, you know, I mean, because obviously we all probably know a little bit about Pilate. Like, I mean, he was not a merciful man. Yeah. You know, um, he he was he was known as far as I'm aware, Dave, you probably know more, but he was known for his willingness to execute people. Don't you don't you know that I have the power to literally crucify you? Right. Yeah, he, he was he was brutal. He he reminds me he would have reminded me of that guy in the chosen. Uh, what's his name? Gaius, that the one that, you know, that every the Roman uh, that was in charge of everything there. And he brought Jesus in to talk to him and said that guy. He reminded me of him because everybody was afraid of him. You know, if you did something wrong, he would kill you right there. That's that was Pilate. He had he had he, as as procurator, he had that kind of power. He could just. On the other hand, he didn't want. He was worried. He was put in that in in that in Palestine because he had some problems with the Roman Empire with the emperor. So they stuck him there, and he did not want any problems with the Jews. He didn't want any uprisings because that would be create problems for him back at Central City in Rome. You know, um, I, I'm just going to pop over into uh, to John for for a minute. But but I think it helps add some context. John 18, 29. So the Pilate, the governor, went out and asked them, what is your charge against this man? He says, we, we wouldn't have handed over him over to you if he wasn't a criminal. Take him away, judge him by your own law, Pilate told him. And it says only Romans are permitted to execute. So then Pilate goes back to his headquarters, calls for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you're a king? Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth, and all who love the truth recognize what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out to the people and said he's not guilty of any crime. And then he tries to, you know, obviously re release um, Barabbas uh, to him. So it's like we, we see in here, um, and then, you know, Matthew 27, similarly, you know, it, it's a, you know, he's going out there. Hey, do you hear all these uh, accusations? And then he's going to offer up Barabbas. So, so we just see throughout the Gospels a little bit more context to this story than just simply that one one question there. Well, I do want to chime in right here because this is a good segue into what I took notes on this morning. 
Um, I, I woke up this morning, I had a cup of coffee, and I basically prayed, and I just asked God to speak to me in new, fresh ways um, from the ways that I usually hear from him. And I, you know, I held my hands up to the sky for him, and I just sat in silence, and I just uh, meditated on that, that God would speak to me, and he spoke to me this morning beautifully through Luke 23. So Jesus says um, that my kingdom is not of this world, right? And it's important to understand, like, to start to look at the scriptures and our worldview, the way Jesus looked at the scriptures and his worldview. I, I've been saying it lately, especially to Mike, having being kingdom minded, having kingdom eyes, seeing um, reality through the lens of Jesus and through the scriptures. This is something God has been doing with uh, me lately through uh, the sanctification process. So in Luke 23, um, I'm just going to jump ahead to the Jesus pretty much asking to be crucified all through Luke. He keeps like ruffling feathers. He's, 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 uh, he's rabble rousing, if you will. And it ultimately leads to Pilate condemning him for crucifixion to come full circle on the accusation that this man is claiming he's above Caesar. And anyone who lets that fly is, is no friend of Caesar's. They accuse Pilate. So now Pilate's hand has been forced because there's been a public declaration that you better defend your Caesar. So here we go. Jesus gets convicted now. This is where I'm going to fast forward. I don't know the exact verse. Maybe one of uh, my brothers here can help me. The thief on the cross. Mm -hmm. what, what passage is that? Does anybody know offhand? Anyways, there's, there, there's, there's two criminals that are carrying their crosses mm -hmm. out to the place called the skull, Golgotha, and they're going to be uh, raised up and crucified. One of, the, one of the criminals says, aren't you, aren't you the Messiah? Mm -hmm. Save yourself and save us. To which the other criminal replies to him something along the lines of, don't you realize that we're actual criminals and we deserve what we're getting right now, but this man is innocent? And he turns to, thank you, brother. He, he turns to Jesus and he says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And so what does Jesus do? He turns and he, he turns his head up from the cross and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. And what I want to focus on is that word paradise. In the Greek, the word is paradisos, and what it means is garden or walled garden, right? So if you're Jesus and you're telling this person next to you, hey, a little later today, you're going to be with me in the garden. What garden is Jesus talking about? There's only one garden that is talked about in the Bible specifically, and that is the garden in a place called Eden, which is literally referenced in, I believe it's Genesis, perhaps chapter two, um, Maybe even chapter, let me see here. And I have all these notes on this because God was so good to me this morning. All right. So this is Genesis uh, chapter two, verses four through eight. And Yahweh God planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the human he had formed from the mud or from, or from the clay or from the, from the soil or the earth, whatever your translation says, right? So very powerfully, right, Jesus is saying, hey, today you're going to be with me. And what do we think of it as today as Christians? Heaven. Today you're going to be with me in heaven. So you have this word paradise, which in English we just think of as heaven. But ultimately in, in Jesus's biblical uh, archive or in his mind, he's viewing it as the Garden of Eden. Or he's talking about it very frankly as the Garden of Eden. So what, what do we see with this thief here? It keeps coming back to my mind. Every, every man is as close to God as he or she wants to be. Every person is mm. as close to God as they want to be. Mm. Now, this is, this is the part that's very moving, right? In Genesis, we're, we view the Garden of Eden as a past event, mm. right? 
oh, that's back in Genesis. That, that's when that happened. Then there was the fall, and humans are kicked out of that. But what is Jesus talking about it as? As a very real, present place 2,000 years ago, where he's saying, hey, in just a, a, a few short hours, we're going to be there together, right? And then if you fast forward to the book of Revelation, Jesus writes in this, the second letters, or John does, to Ephesus, he says, hey, if you guys can get right with the, the grievances I have against you, you will eat of the tree of life. Now, where's the tree of life found? In the garden of Eden, right? So, so revelation, we're waiting for that to come to pass, aren't we? So is, is the garden of Eden a past event, right? Is it a present moment right now where we're in Luke 23 or is it a future event? Like what we're all waiting for when Jesus comes back to collect his bride. Is it the, is it the end goal for us? Oh, to be, to die and be in heaven, right? And the answer is it's yes. It's past, present, and future, right? What does Jesus say in the rest of Revelation? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. What do we know about heaven? What does is, what is Revelation teach us about heaven? All the streets are paved in gold. The tree of life is there. It, it, the, the, the leaves will, will heal the nations, and the fruit is going to change every month, right? And there's a... So a street, a sh exactly, a stream of living water that, that comes from the throne of God. And that Jesus himself, there is no nighttime, that he illuminates it all, mm. right? So there's these very vivid visions that John the Revelator gets on this prison island of Patmos. So what is John experiencing? He himself is on a prison island, formerly, you know, boiled in oil, right? Mm -hmm. And he's experiencing the heaven, the same heaven that I believe it's, it's Peter or Paul writes about when he says, I met a man who was up in the third heaven. And I don't know if it was an out-of-body experience or not. So like, I keep going back to this whole idea is every person is as close to God as you want to be, right? If you want to experience the paradise, you have access to the paradise, so to speak, now through who? Who is the alpha exactly through Jesus? Who is the alpha and the omega? Who died on the cross for you? Who is the light up in heaven? Who is the source of all life? Jesus himself is like the garden. He is the life giver. He is the tree of life. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. So it's like any time that you want access to paradise now, you need only open your Bible, close your eyes, pray, draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. It's like, that's what I had this morning when I woke up and I just spent time alone with God is I found the, the, the hidden place, the secret place, your prayer closet, whatever you want to call it. And I got to experience a download from God where I realized I can do that whenever I want. And then, then you see Paul in prison and he's writing to people so joyfully. Right. And it's like, how do you get that joy? How do you get that fruit of the spirit? Mm. You get it by abiding in the true vine, by remaining in Jesus and he and you. So it doesn't matter if you're being tortured on the cross it doesn't matter if you're, you just lost your job or you're going through a global pandemic or whatever trials you're going through. You have Jesus, you have everything. You know what I mean? So that's omnipresent, that's, yeah. But that's, that's what I took from just Jesus and the thief on the cross, just answering him, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah, I was just, just going to say, you know, the, the idea of, of, of paradise, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, um, ideas and, and interpretations about that um, also, from from a physical standpoint, I mean, like you said, I think the the Garden of Eden. Um, I think you know, I've always looked at it as a, as a reflection of heaven on earth. You know, um, that it was you know symbolic in nature, as as was the temple, for example. Right, the temple was a reflection of a of a heavenly temple, but here on earth, not nearly in the same glory, but um, here nonetheless. And 
And so that's where there's there's some similarities. Also, there there's definitely some some uh, traditions that kind of view this whole idea of of paradise as a uh, as a section of hell, so to speak, um, during you know uh, before the resurrection. It's where the souls would go. All souls would go um, to the place of the dead to Hades, but there was different sections in that. And you'd have paradise. Like Abraham's bosom kind of thing. Exactly. Abraham's bosom in paradise is often synonymous, which is where, you know, we get the parable of, you know, the, uh, the rich man and the, the beggar Lazarus. And when they die, Jesus refers to them as looking across a great chasm and seeing the rich man over there. And he's begging for a drop of water. Meanwhile, Lazarus, the poor man is over on the other side, kind of enjoying like a reasonable, um, nice, uh, nice time. Again, a lot of it is speculation because we don't know what Jesus did when he died. But um, but the the uh, the one of the common ideologies in Christianity is that you know Jesus came to set the captives free, and so and that he has the keys of hell and like all this stuff. And so the the idea was that when Jesus died, he too went down to the to paradise which he would have said to the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise, right? So that he goes down to paradise, to Hades, which is, a again, a sec- section of hell, um, kind of governed, I think, um, maybe by the devil, but again, like his reign was like limited there. And the reason being was because, again, they didn't have salvation. So anything they had was a looking forward to. So it was something that was to come, not yet has already happened when jesus came he comes and this is where the the concept he came to set the captives free goes down descends into hell this is where i believe it's in certain creeds and stuff like that so you know i believe that jesus descends into hell for three days and there gets all the captives those who are not over already in the eternal torment but those that are in paradise in that and then leads them out into but that's that, that's that's like unbiblical to a degree in those creeds because Jesus literally tells the thief on the cross today you'll be with me in paradise so it's not like he's going to go down to hell for three days if he's saying today you're going to be with me in paradise unless Jesus goes to hell then paradise no it's and, par- and, paradise is in hell well in this theology and so, which and, yeah and so yeah and I, I'm just yeah, saying yeah. Like, like again yeah. I, I I can't speak to whether it's it's um, true or not because yeah, because not. I've never been there some people speak yeah. very definitively about uh, about it. I can't, but I, I'll say like that. I've heard that too before. That, that's that's the ideology that's pretty widely accepted. Um, that he goes there, so the thief was with him there in paradise, but it didn't last long. And then he he's like, "I'll him. bring you to paradise for one minute, and yeah. then I have to go to hell for three days." But in the but, Bible, but, it doesn't but, say no, he was but, in hell, right? So, but but again, paradise was in hell. In this idea, in this idea, so it's all one and the same. Goes to paradise, then leads them out to heaven, which is the place that he's prepared for us which is still a waiting area for ultimately the new Jerusalem that will come at the end that John which, yeah, descends from know, the sky. Yeah. John prophesies and you have, like you said, the, the recreation or the initial creation, if you will, of, of the garden of Eden. So again, a lot of it gets like kind of, kind of like deep and convoluted people, you know, love to study hell and all the different layers and words that are used. And there are, I think, you know, five different words that are that are used um, throughout the Bible, maybe even more, um, to describe it. We don't, we don't fully know uh, entirely. But what we do know is this. Um, 
that you know the thief on the cross was someone who just barely got by by the skin of their teeth that's one thing we know you know that. their faith though yeah but but i'm just saying like it, that was i mean talk about calling out in the last moments and but here's a beauty of it right is that he was also the first one who really um had the blood of jesus covering his sin you know and it's like because right there then and there you know he's he's dying um and uh and, and how do we know that because um from all indication jesus died before this guy did because the roman soldiers went and they broke the other guy's legs to speed up their death but jesus had already died so this guy was pro debatably one of the first ones that was in by the blood of jesus and so so jesus in that moment which also goes to say, you know, there's, there's people that argue about, you know, baptism and the significance of baptism, which I, I mean, I love baptism. Baptism is great. I believe it's something that every believer needs to do. But to say that it's a mandatory requirement and you don't get to heaven without being baptized, clearly this first example of salvation, um, there was no baptism Abraham involved. wasn't baptized. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so anyhow, it's just it, kind of a, kind of a little tangent there, but, um, but it, it is interesting how this guy called out and is, in his deathbed. On the flip side, right? Because we got to balance everything out here. Is that I've had people say, "Well, I'm just going to kind of pull a thief on the cross kind of a thing. I'm going to live like the devil, and in the last minutes of life, I'm going to call hard, call out on on Jesus." And uh, and it's like, well, you know what? I don't know that it works that way. <laughs> you know, yeah. number one, you don't always have advance notice. You know, this guy scraped through by the skin of his th teeth, and I believe is eternally grateful. Well, what was his re what was his criminal record? He was a thief. Well, the thief on the cross. That's what, it's it's right there. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so literal about some of these manuscripts. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Prosecution rests its case. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> did he did he steal to feed his family? Did he steal because he was trying to become rich? You know, I mean, what was his motivation? I mean, either way, there are people who are obviously sinners who get redeemed by Christ, and so yeah. I'm, I'm, as Paul would say, I'm the chief of that. So you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm the worst kind of sinner, and I've been mm -hmm. redeemed by God. So mm -hmm. there's hope for you all. Now, talking about the baptism, I always bring this up because I've heard people try to talk to me. Um, and be like, oh yeah, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. That's true, because as anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about being sanctified, right? So Jesus Himself did not need to be, you know, baptized for the remission of sins, and yet He did it anyways, right? Now Abraham, I said, wasn't baptized. So yeah, as far as soteriology and the doctrine of salvation, no, that's not required. However, Jesus does say to Nicodemus, "Truly I say to you, unless you're born of the water and of the Spirit, you can't enter or see the kingdom." Right? So it's obviously important. If Jesus did it, we should do it if we're following him. It's yeah. really cut and dry that simple now. As far as the thief on the cross, people will say to me things like, well, he wasn't baptized. And I always need to bring this up because for whatever reason, it's like, where does it say that he wasn't baptized? Many people in those days were being baptized by not only John the baptizer and his disciples, but also even Jesus's 12 baptized people as well. Right. So it was, it was actually happening. There was like a revival, so to speak, mm -hmm. at least with two major rabble-rousing groups, yeah. being like, hey, get ready, get well, ready, get ready. Baptism was a, was a customary thing in the time. It wasn't just Jesus and John doing baptizing. I mean, uh, oftentimes rabbis of, of different sects would baptize people. And baptism yeah. baptism was, was essentially like a, uh, it was identifying with your rabbi, saying, I'm being baptized under the teachings of so and so, and it's symbolic. It's sort of symbolic too of like the the, the Red Sea crossing. It's symbolic of the Jordan yeah. being split as well with Joshua. And so it's there's even in, in Judaism there's some referencing to it, so to speak, in the Old Testament. But my point is this, right? Is 
True, yeah. So maybe he wasn't, but maybe he was, is all I'm saying. So with the yeah. same assertion that you're making, because it's not in the biblical text, I mean, I have committed sins since I've been baptized. I've right. been repentant. Right. But it's, so it's like he could have been baptized and he could have made the mistake of being caught stealing. So it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Just well, the, the, get baptized if you yeah, haven't been. Yeah, Lord I mean, have mercy. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely good to, but but I and I think the thing of it is, is yeah, yeah, he, he could have, we, we, we could, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda all day long. But but the reality is, is, is since Scripture is not clear on it, I believe that Scripture is intentionally clear where it needs to be. Amen. And it's intentionally not clear where it needs to be. Yeah, for me, for me, for me that's not the most important part. It, 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 the most important part is not whether he was baptized. The line is actually 42. I said 40, but it goes 40 to 43. But 42 is the line where the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And when I say that, the, whether he's baptized or not is not is not the most important thing to me. Neither is what crime he committed, even though you know it's curious. You know, whoever asked that, Ben. What is important to me is this guy's faith. He says, "Remember me when you come into your kingdom." Think about it. I mean, I want to I want to do a compare and contrast here in a moment, which we used to do in school, right? Everybody did that. Compare and contrast. The teachers would ask. And I'm going to I'm going to do it with the two sections we just discussed. And then I'm going to ask you right. Well, I'll ask you right now, figure out where you fit in on this. Let's take this theme. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And as Judas said, he's probably, he's the first one that saved here. I mean, he whether he was baptized, whatever crime he committed, murder, insurrection, sedition, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. Do we, do we have faith like that? Now contrast that to something we didn't talk about at the beginning section when we opened this up. When, when Jesus is talking to Pilate, Pilate, uh, and again, as Judah alluded to, the other uh, gospels show Pilate asking a lot of different questions. But what about Herod? He goes to Herod, and I think Herod, if I'm correct, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm correct. Jesus doesn't say anything to him. He doesn't say a word to him. Doesn't respond to any questions. Yeah, but here's the compare and contrast. You have the thief who has this incredible faith, at least to me, to say, hey, I believe in you. And I don't, I mean, who knows what he did before all this, but he says right then and there on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay. Herod regarded Jesus as a joke, basically. He wanted to see him do a a miracle or something like that. And, And, and I'm asking this, a lot of people, and this is probably a plain fact, the vast majority of people out there refuse to take Jesus seriously like Herod and not as seriously as this thief did. There's still people, there's still people that come to the conclusion that, that, that Jesus doesn't matter, that, you know, that he's not a factor, that he, or he is a factor that can be emitted from our lives. So when I say compare and contrast, compare that thief to Herod, and where do we fall in between there? Which side are we on, and where do we fall? Because to Christians, to Christians, Jesus should be the most important person in all the universe. He was to that thief at that moment. And as you folks brought up before, whoever said it, as I was listening, we don't know when this is going to come. We, we don't know if we would have that last chance, like we're on a cross, and, and we've got Jesus next to us. But... We do know from the gospel, like the rich fool, we, when God says, you're going to die tomorrow, you're going to die this night, who's going to get all your goods then? And, and then as Jesus talked about in parables, we don't know when that time will be. So what are we doing about it? Where do we fall between the thief on the cross 
in Herod who discounted Jesus totally. I ask you that. So, Dave, you're saying that Jesus is not David Copperfield, but telling you to be nice to people? Yeah, exactly. So, so for example, right, this is a prayer I say all the time, almost every day when I pray for people, whether I just see them on the street and I don't know them and I just, I, or, or it's a family member or a friend, I always pray, hey, God, give them ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that would respond to the, to the good news and send angels to minister or messengers to minister the gospel to them, to explain it to them, right? So that's, that's a, pr a prayer I pray often. Now, whether it's Herod or Pilate or the thief on the cross, clearly Pilate and Herod don't have eyes to see. And yet the thief on the cross has eyes to see, right? So it's like, where does our faith come from? Well, the Bible says that faith comes from hearing the word. So that thief on the cross must have heard the word, right? Or it says that every person is given a certain amount of faith by God himself, by God the Father, right? So those are at least two qualifiers for where faith comes from. And Johnny, it's complete faith too, because you think about it, this guy is in the same predicament that you are. What makes you, th what, rationally, what makes you think that this person could do anything for you? Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're both on the cross literally bleeding yeah. out or whatever, and yeah. it's like... That, that, that bet is called faith. And that's what yes. I'm saying. That exactly it is. Which is which is my point. My point is, is that he has eyes to see this kingdom, this invisible kingdom. And, and this is what's so powerful about when I was talking about to have kingdom-mindedness or see the world the way Jesus sees it or see the scriptures the way Jesus sees it is that there's this there's this underlying undergirding or or almost like a marionette it's like this it's this overseeing invisible dimension we can't perceive it with our five senses right but it's there it's where Jesus is right now he's seated at the right hand of the father he's going to prepare a place for us my father's house has many rooms many mansions it's the tree of life is there that that living water is there the 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 golden streets are there right so it's like there is a very real place where jesus is right now besides in us a, a physical place that we just can't perceive yeah and it's it's at the most foundational and fundamental sense where our experiences all come from in this like you know 3d reality where you have like blank with height and time or whatever that we're, we're sort of traveling through but without, without that realm, heaven, whatever you want to call it, the other dimension where Jesus is right now, where he is the source of all light and life, none of this is here because it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Mm -hmm. Genesis 1, 1, in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The highest heaven, the one that's talked about in 2 Corinthians, where it's uh, pa Paul's talking about the man who goes up to the highest heaven or the third heaven, right? It's like, that's what's making this all tick. The reason why your heart is beating in your chest, the reason why there's birds flying around floating in the air with hollow bones, right? The reason why the sun is still shining on us, right? It's, it's all just like a gift from God, from his love and his grace and his mercy. And it's like through the Bible, you get to see the world the way Jesus sees it. You get to have that, that faith, that kingdom mindedness, that kingdom sight, you know? It's so it just, to me, it's so moving, you know? Yeah, well, the, Jesus' kingdom is not just a kingdom for the afterlife. It's also a kingdom for the here and now, you know, and we can, there's a, there's definitely a very present, um, tense to that of being involved with the kingdom of God. King, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand and, uh, and that's, that's encompassed by the church, the body of Christ, you know, and, and so we can live kingdom minded and, and, you know, we've chatted at length about this idea of being ambassadors for the kingdom. And it's like, we're citizens of a, of a place that we are, uh, not physically at, but we are citizens to there. And wherever we walk, we're walking on heavenly soil, so to speak, because that's that's why we were put here. We were we weren't put here 
um, just to simply have an add-on to our life. Oh, I just add on whatever. I add on all my hobbies. I add on my, my religious belief. But no, we are ambassadors now, meaning that you know, even though I may belong to this place, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which is why you can get some of these people throughout history, the early church, um, hundreds of thousands, if, if not millions of millions of Christians who um, not only died for their faith and were tortured for their faith, but did it gladly and willingly. Right, which I mean is just just such a such a contrast. You know, it's like you think of our own country and how many people are willing to die for the ideologies of our country, um, and yet the kingdom of God far supersedes that. I mean, th- there's far more people that have died for the kingdom of heaven than have ever died for our little two hundred thirty year old country. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not even close. In fact, it'd almost be insulting to assume that it is. I mean, right now, I mean, in our world, and we've talked about this at length, Christians are the number one persecuted uh, people in the entire world by like a major factor. It's like something like what, 60 percent of all persecutions in this world um, are all directed at Christians. And every other racial or ideological persecution is all split in that remaining fifty percent. And um and it's just an overwhelming amount because it's like we say hey we're not we're not um uh we're not citizens here and this is how you get the people like you know Polycarp's and John Husses and these people who are, who are being burned at the stake and they're freaking singing while they're burning that's what Jesus did my God my God why have you forsaken me yeah. Psalm twenty two baby yeah, yeah but <laughs> but it's like I mean you know I mean uh, I believe it was you know like like. Some of these guys are saying, well, you know, if, if you hear me singing, you know that I haven't felt any pain. And these people that are like willingly, willingly going there. And uh, and some of these, one of these guys, I forgot who it was. My memory's failing, but um, they're getting ready to tie him to the pole. He says, don't even bother tying me. I'm not going anywhere. And he just stands there and burns at the stake. You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, and, and number one, we think we got it bad. Number two. It's because they realize this world is not my own. I'm an ambassador here. And you know what? You can take everything away from me. You can take my life away. But I am you know, a representative of the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to send me on ahead, then just go right ahead. Yeah, you want to fast track me to paradise? Yeah. I'm right here with you. This yeah. is where, you know, obviously we haven't gotten into Acts yet, but you get Acts and Stephen, who's debatably the first martyr that we're aware of. And he's being stoned and, and the, the heavens open up to him. And he's like, I just see Jesus and he's there. And, and he's like, God, don't lay this sin to their charge, which is a reflection of what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, you know, Father, don't, don't uh, hold the don't, sin against hold them. them. Hold the sin against them. And it's like, how the heck do you say that? How the heck do you do that? Like, like I mean, he, here's the thing, right? You get in a fender bender and the cop shows up and you're like, I'm not responsible. Put the blame on them. My insurance is not going to pay. Right. It's like for something as petty as a car accident, right? And yet here's people's Stephen being stoned to death, not stoned in our modern term, you know. Of this, of Having rocks thrown at you until you die. And they're not small rocks. These are at least right. baseball or larger. And I mean, he's getting pummeled. Pummeled, 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 pummeled. And he's like, God, you know what? Don't hold this against them. And he sees Jesus there and he's like, boom, Paul's right there, you know, holding the garments, watching this whole thing transpire. I mean, it's just like who later who later would say, right? 
to die is to gain. He says, I'm torn between living right. out what God wants me to do and dying early so I could be with Christ. Right. It's like that same guy. Yeah. So, so it's just kind of like, I, I think, you know, um, and I'm, we'll kind of land the plane here, but it just, it just shows the, uh, the, the, the realness of, of the kingdom of God. You know, I, I think it's, uh, we see the, the reality of it and that it's not something that's far and distant. And, I don't know. I'll just end with a with a dumb analogy. Um, but it was it's it, the Matrix. You know, I remember the first time I saw that, and uh, and when he took the pill and he woke up and it was like you know he just realized that he's in another place or whatever, and and just the uh, the thing that hit me was like both things were real at the same time, but the thing that seemed most real was actually not real, and the thing that didn't seem real was the real thing. And, and similarly in our life, it's like the thing that seems most real is like this table and, and us sitting here and our food and whatever. But it's like, you know, that in that instant when we're to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're like, oh, wow, that wasn't even what was real. Yeah. This is what's real. Now, in the Matrix, it was a very dystopian society. For our case, it won't be. It'll be, you know, paradise and heaven with, with God. So anyhow. Let's let's wrap things up here. Um, hold on, hold on. I got okay. I, I got I got one more thing. I'm sorry. Oh boy, here I, we go. So famous I, I, last words. I, I I hope so. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so so I said it before. I said every person is as close to God as he or she wants to be. Right. So at the center of biblical thinking and at the center of Jesus's worldview, right, is that you're just one moment away from experiencing Jesus. You're just one moment away from experiencing the garden or the paradise or heaven. If you can just step away from this world and start to open up your heart and your mind and your life to the person of Jesus, that place of peace. That's, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. Okay, well, let's wrap up. We'll pick back up next week. And uh, thank you guys. Anyone that hung on for that ride, thank you for hanging on with us. So that's it. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast also consider sharing it on social media we can't wait to be back together with you at the thriving in the word podcast